Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. After losing Saturday's El Clasico and then seeing Lionel Messi collect a record-extending eighth Ballon d'Or, you can bet there are a few people at Barcelona hankering for the old days. Add to that Jude Bellingham's goals and last night's Copa Trophy win, the award for the best under-21 player, it's clear that Real Madrid are only looking towards the future. So, are Real about to leave Barca behind? I'm Ayoakim Walere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Let's talk La Liga. Let's get into this. We've got the Athletics Barcelona writer Paul Belus, Spanish football editor Thomas Hill Lopez Menchero, and also our tactics writer Michael Cox as well. Let's take this back to the Ballon d'Or last night. Messi's eighth win. Ballon d'Or France football footballer is Lionel Messi. And according to France football, he's still the best player on the planet. Paul, can can you just give us some sort of like non-biased <laughs> view on this? I mean, that's not the best question to ask to a Barcelona fan because we are <laughs> always going to be happy to see Messi smiling. That's that's all we, we, we can say from the Barcelona perspective. But I'm I'm one of the persons that, that believes that seven games in the World Cup shouldn't be like the final judgment on a whole season. And I think that this season, early Haaland probably deserved it more. Um, I don't want to say it too loud because I also think that Messi, what Messi did on the World Cup is like outstanding. But I think that it was also like, it has been seen like as a culmination of a career, right? In my eyes, like, okay, this is the last year that Messi has been at the elite of football because now he's gone to Inter Miami and it's seen as like probably you're not in the big stage of, of European football. So let's close the chapter of Messi and Ronaldo now with this Ballon d'Or, which is a perfect ending and move on from here. Yeah, I like that sort of close the chapter but for some reason I just don't know if that chapter will ever be closed there's, there's going to be another conversation about Ronaldo scoring the most international goals in the world uh, You do conversations about Messi's takeover uh, of the MLS I mean they, these guys regardless of their ages are still omnipresent in our, in our football lives Let, let's talk about the other uh, awardee last night in Jude Bellingham um, he picked up the trophy uh, for the best under 21s player the Copper Trophy Thomas we talk about Messi and Ronaldo leaving our ether. Jude Bellingham is sort of emerging as the future of Real Madrid and also La Liga, would you say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's part of the reason why Madrid spent so much money on him, right? Was because he's seen as the future for the next 10 or, or however many years. I think it was interesting that he didn't receive the same kind of acclaim when he first arrived as Ronaldo, for instance, when he arrived from United. Clearly, Bellingham wasn't seen as like a ready-made star in the same way even though he's he's proved to be that uh but you know there's no higher praise than 
these Real Madrid commentators comparing him to the great Alfredo Di Stefano who helped Madrid win the, the five European Cups in the 1950s. And you can sort of see that in, in his play a bit, this fact that he is everywhere across the pitch. Michael will know better than me, but mm. we saw that again on, on Saturday as well. He does everything and Madrid fans are in love with him for the moment. Yeah, that's a good chat, actually. Michael, this is a really good opportunity to bring you into this. Um, let's talk about the El Clasico. Real Madrid win 2-1. Um, Jude Bellingham won absolute wonder goal an absolute belter as many games as he's played he has scored yeah it's pretty remarkable it just keeps on going and obviously to do it twice in a classico you know the biggest stage he's played on so far and he he didn't dominate the game actually but he won the game I thought for 70 minutes he was pretty quiet I thought Gavi did a really good job on him I think Gavi was probably the best player on the pitch and actually in this game Bellingham kind of started from Kind of a stricter role, a bit more discipline, like left of a midfield four. Wasn't really that involved for, for long periods. And it felt to me in the second half, he was given a bit more of a free roll. And was actually dropping deeper than I would have expected to get the ball a lot. Which is obviously kind of contrary to what he did in terms of deciding the game. But yeah, I mean, he is incredible. I mean, so far in this domestic campaign, he's been the best player in Europe by quite a long way. And uh, I guess the inevitable chat after last night is is whether he can push on and become a real contender for the, the main award itself. Because, I mean, as you allude to, it's been an award for kind of older players. I mean, no one born after 1987 has won the Ballon d'Or because it's been Ronaldo, Messi, Modric and, and Benzema. And uh, I mean, I'm born in 1987 and I'm very much past my prime. <laughs> so uh, it's about time someone else stepped up, I think. Do we, do we feel, um, even at 20 years old, and it's hard to predict someone's future at this point in time, um, if Bellingham has the star quality to bring global viewers to La Liga? Again, because he's a different player to Ronaldo and Messi, possibly not. We, we saw there were obviously problems anyway with, with UK viewers being able to watch the, the yeah, Classic on Saturday. You know, the Bundesliga has Harry Kane. Bellingham feels like that kind of star, but I'm sort of hesitant to say he's going to be the one to bring all these viewers over to La Liga when Ronaldo and Messi obviously had these amazing goal-scoring records. I think they're different kind of players and maybe Ronaldo and Messi lend themselves a bit more to to bring in lots and lots of, of eyeballs for you know neutrals who might not be that into one particular football club or, or football as a whole. Yeah, uh, Paul, from a Barcelona perspective, um, how did the Catalan fans view that that El Clasico on home turf as well? Well, second home for the time being. No, yeah, I mean, I think that the Barcelona fans and even myself, I share a lot what Michael just said. I think that Bellingham didn't dominate the game. Bellingham just won the game. And it's a tough blow to take. It's a tough blow to take, especially from the mental point of view, because apart from all the tactic perspective and the analogies that we can make around the game, this is just a state of mind, the El Clásico. If you win El Clásico, no matter if you play bad, like the state of mind around the club is going to improve. And Barcelona and Real Madrid are such a political club and so like deep into the society that this matters a lot. Now Barcelona like falls four points in behind Real Madrid, which is, I mean, it's not going to end the league here. And if you think about it, and that's the way that Barcelona fans are like approaching this next game, like you made a really good first half against Real Madrid. And one week after, you can end up like seven points behind them. So it's a bit of a make or break moment for Barcelona fans right, right now. But yeah. Yeah, I want to touch on that because uh, Gundogan, who actually scored the goal for Barcelona at the age, what, 33, says... I don't know. It's just... Uh, 
there has to be more emotion, especially when you lose. And you know, when you you know you can perform better, you can do better in single and certain situations, and you just don't react. And this just transfers to the pitch at the end of the day. And um, we need to we need to make a huge step in that. Otherwise, um, Real Madrid or even Girona is going to run away. And uh, <laughs> I didn't come here, you know, to to lose this type of games or to let the gap create, you know. And um, there's also a responsibility from myself, you know, from a more experienced player, uh, to not allow, you know, the squad to just uh, let things happen. No, we need resistance. You know, in his head, a, a player that's just come from Manchester City, a treble winner, he understands the passion that that lies beneath some sort of, uh, you know, I would say local rivalry because they're two different uh, cities. But that fire in your belly, if you cannot get up for this, how can you get up for a season, a Champions League campaign? Because, you know, for a lot of fans, this is the most important game in the season. Yeah, yeah, by far. And it was totally refreshing, I'd say, that there were no fans or, like, the majority of the fans were really in favour of Gundogan saying that because it was refreshing to see someone from the inside having these sort of words. It's a club that in recent years you have heard a lot like um, how bad of a state the the former executive board left the club in, which I totally agree. They left the club in a really bad state. Um, you have also heard like, look at La Liga, they don't allow us to register players. So we've heard a lot of like external reasons or excuses, if you want to call it that way. A- and I also feel that Gundogan had the liberty or had the willingness to say that because he's been here only for like some months. This winning mentality, it's not something that you are born with. It's something that you have to keep growing and you have to evolve, you have to learn. And it's important to have this sort of narrative inside the dressing room to let the Gabis, to let the Pedris, to let the Valdes, to let the Fermins, all of them know what the elite of football is about. I mean, Gundogan also went on to say, uh, I didn't come here to lose these type of games or to let uh, a gap create. And I'm really interested in that let a gap create uh thomas from your perspective both teams have got very young players um relatively inexperienced in these kind of major games but it looked it felt like real madrid sort of found that bite that passion to win let's not forget away from home as well do you feel there's a, a gap creating in, in 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 between both clubs i think on the pitch as as michael mentioned in his in his piece actually there was there was very little in it i don't think on the pitch that gap is creating Maybe institutionally, and I know Paul has, has mentioned this before, there's something to be said for the way Barca are operating compared to Madrid, where Florentino Perez holds this total control. And OK, they've had to borrow a lot of money for their stadium, for instance, but they've been run in a sensible way, it seems to me, over the past couple of years, over the pandemic as well. Whereas Barca, we've all seen the the financial levers. I think there's a there's a case to be made that perhaps that gap is creating there, but Actually, on the pitch, I don't think there's a lot to separate them at the moment. What would you say, Paul? No, if I'm honest, I think that Gundogan's words were like really relating to the gap that is being created in La Liga. Like four points in La Liga are bigger than six points in the Premier League, in my opinion. They are more difficult to overcome and to just cut back. And I think that the Gundogan was like referring to that. But in the, in the terms of the institution, it's clear. It's clear. Just, I mean, you just have to see like how Barcelona have struggled in the last three transfer windows to register his place until the very last day. That's that's a really bad look. Inigo Martinez wasn't even registered at the start of La Liga because Barcelona couldn't do it. So in terms of like the club management, there's a huge difference right now between Barcelona and Real Madrid because Barcelona cannot do what they want. They do what they can. And Real Madrid do what a top club should be able to do, basically, which is 
get Bellingham and just compete to sign the best players and operate like in, in the right way. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Michael, can you give us an indication as to how Barcelona are playing this season? Obviously, we remember the Guardioli years. They did have that special player called Lionel Messi. But what about this time around? There are conversations around Xavi being a bit more conservative. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still a lot of very familiar principles from that time. I think they were affected at the weekend, obviously, by the absence of Lewandowski. They've had a few injury problems. But I think that... They still haven't necessarily found the right combinations. And that's really, I mean, when Barcelona were at their best, that's what I thought of. I didn't think of individuals necessarily. I thought of the way Messi played with Pedro or the way Xavi played with Iniesta or the way Messi linked with Dani Alves down the right. And I don't necessarily see that in, in across this team. And I mean, I thought one of the defining parts of the Classico at the weekend was the fact that the wide players from both teams like the width just came from the fullbacks. And so Barcelona had uh, Balde uh, on the left and Cancelo, who actually was playing as more of a forward, but we know him as a fullback. Twice they got into quite good, dangerous situations in the box and just didn't really know what to do. And I just thought if that was some of the Barcelona wide players of yesteryear, there would have been an end product and there would have been a finish. Um, I can forgive the kind of relative lack of... Uh, incision from Ferran Torres because he's not Lewandowski. Lewandowski was only fit to come off the bench and I think when he did he could receive the ball to feet and play some good passes and that's not going to be an issue for the rest of the season but it was only later on really uh, when substitutes came on that Barcelona really looked free-flowing and cohesive so to me they're still a work in progress. I don't think they're particularly unattractive. Guardiola's way of football was quite prescribed and quite specific and robotic at times but then they had Messi who provided the magic and I think at the moment there's uh, they're just lacking that kind of unpredictability I would say even the real with the exception of Lewandowski the real technical talents in this team Gavi and Pedri in particular are still young and still developing and still very much playing a role so yeah I mean for all the, the praise we showered on Guardiola and his tactics of course, for a decade, that, that club had Messi. I'm just thinking about what Barcelona do moving forward because we've already spoke about the inconsistency uh, that that sits within the back rooms of, of Barcelona. Uh, what, what, what's, the, what's the ideal situation? Sell players to restart again? I mean, you've still got huge court cases looming over Barcelona. You've still got... Um, we even look at the contractual conversations we're, we're having. How do we look forward to, to rectify this situation? To... Or, or is the Barcelona we know change? Do we now need to accept that 
Barcelona that we knew in the past isn't going to be the Barcelona moving forward. Football has changed. Uh, I mean, the the club is trying to convince everyone that um, the mentality hasn't changed and that the Barcelona will still be a top club. We also have to admit that, I mean, if we compare Barcelona to the Guardiola's team, I mean, every time the current team is going to lose. I mean, it's really difficult to replicate what Guardiola did back in the days with the sort of players that he had. But I think that going forward, the key or the only thing that is sustaining Barcelona and that is keeping Barca fans optimistic and hopeful uh, towards the future is La Masia, is the academy. And that's all that they have to rely on, like not just on talented players like to perform with the first team, uh, but also I think that they need to learn how to sell and how to make profit of the know-how that they have inside uh, La Masia, because not everyone can make it to the first team. There's not like a spot for everyone. And I think that this has to be the way, like... As I was saying before, the likes of Gabi, Fermin, Pe- uh, Pedri is not an academy player, but uh, still, Gabi, Fermin, Balde, Araujo, Pedri, just to learn what it means to be a Barca player, um, and then the ones that cannot make it to the first team, try to sell them, and like little by little, bit by bit, try to um, rebuild the club from that, because I'm the w- I'm from the people who think that like selling a lot of players and starting from page zero is not going to grant Barcelona a way back to the top, and 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 possibly they are not going to find a way back to the top. So I understand that Barcelona still has to invest in the football pitch, in bringing good players, in trying to perform, in trying to compete against Real Madrid, in being an attractive project. But at the same time, they have to improve and assume that some talent might have to let go and admit that if a good offer came for any player, Barcelona, as any club in the world, would be intelligent to sell players, which is something that Barcelona hasn't done in the past, I think. Mm-hmm. Let's flip it to uh, Madrid, Thomas. Um, the redevelopment, even though the football necessarily might be showing that, seems a bit more, less naive, I guess. I mean, you look at uh, Camavinga, 20 years old, Chouameni, 23 years old, Balberdi, 25, Bellingham, 20, of course, but they're a bit further on in, in, in their life experience, a bit further on in their football experience as well. Yeah, the recruitment has been has been super intelligent from Madrid over recent years, as you say that that young core who've who've come through. As as Paul says a bit there, I, th- I think La Masia is still a big um, it's a big point of difference for Barca, which they need to make the most of. I think for Madrid, there's still there's still a lack of like young players. They have this great academy. Last week, the CIS Football Observatory, you know, did this study which showed that. Madrid had trained the most players in, in Europe's top five leagues. But where are they ending up? They're not ending up at, at Madrid. So Madrid have kind of placed their trust more in young players who who arrive, you know, further down the line than than their own talents, right? Like Camavinga, like Chouameni. And it seems to be working. I, I think you're right that they seem to have learned from the likes of Modric, Kroos, experienced winners. And that process just seems to be going really well for them mm. so far. Okay. Now let's talk about, you know, the, the boss, the big one. Uh, Thanos, I call him. Uh, Florentino Perez. Um, he's 76 years old now. Um, a few health scares have we've seen of, of recent. The next presidency is under debate. What is it? 2025, I think. Is there a sense that he might relinquish power and open the door for somewhere else, someone else to, to come in uh, to Real Madrid because we talk about both clubs and, and where they're operating at the moment. Barcelona are trying to figure out new ways of adapting or working in this current climate. He leaves and that's a huge suck 
away of what Madrid's identity has been really over the last 20 years. Yeah, well, exactly. He's the he's the second longest serving president over his two ten years only only rivaled by Santiago Bernabeu, who obviously the the stadium's named after. I don't think he will uh, willingly relinquish power, let's say. But it's going to be a really interesting power struggle when he when he does have to give up the presidency. It, it's been a key part of how Madrid have operated, obviously, and it has given them stability, even if they haven't necessarily had that on the pitch with with various managers. Uh, I think they've cracked it in in Perez's second spell at the club. Yeah, so to see what happens after this is going to be super interesting. Yeah, what's I mean, was it six Champions Leagues and six La Liga titles? I mean, that's going to be really hard to top. Yeah, you can't really you can't really argue with it. And and as I say, that's that's been achieved despite relative instability when it comes to changing over managers every every couple of years. So yeah, how they replace him is a is a is a big question. Michael, I'm just interested um, from the coaching perspective, especially. Carlo Ancelotti, um, who yet again, you know, might not be at Madrid next season. Who knows? I mean, the type of football that you feel he's trying to play at Real Madrid, because we spoke about this just before we um, we, we started the pod and we were saying, actually, think about it. He, he's got this beautiful humility about him. He's managed some really, really top sides, massive, massive experience as a coach. Um, what is he trying to do with these young players that you have seen from a tactical perspective? I don't think he has a preset way he wants to play. I think that's the thing about Ancelotti. He likes to develop the players as individuals and he will create a system that fits his best players, which I know sounds simple, but I think it's probably in stark contrast to other managers who want a specific way of playing and want specific players who can fit into that. And we've seen that this season. I mean, they've they've lost Karim Benzema, who was their best player for the last three or four years. They brought in Jude Bellingham, who is a very different type of player, and they've just tweaked the system and made it work. So in a way, he's quite different from a lot of other managers. I don't think he has a set philosophy. I mean, you can go back to the start of his career and he played a completely different style of football and then kind of had his philosophy, if you like, changed when he was at Juventus and worked with Del Piero and Zidane and became, I'd say, a player-first manager rather than a system-first manager. So um, he's very flexible. He's very laid back. I think he gives his players responsibility. And he is perfect for Real Madrid because, I mean, you look at the history of Real Madrid and it's always been a club that is dominated by the president and by the players. It's never really... You don't talk about Real Madrid eras and talk about the managers, really, the same way you would with Barcelona, with Mikels and Johan Cruyff and Pep Guardiola. It's It's a players' club. It's a superstars' club. And Ancelotti, of all the managers in in world football over the last 20, 25 years, has been the one who will get the best out of the individuals. They don't always win, or he doesn't always win, I think, as many trophies as he should when you look at his career overall. But he very rarely falls out with anyone. I mean, he never falls out with players. He's worked under the most demanding presidents in football at Chelsea and Real Madrid and PSG and generally and AC Milan as well, of course. I mean, he lasted eight years under... Berlusconi so um, I've always just thought he's a really good fit for Real Madrid to be honest Ancelotti yeah and Paul I'm just thinking in terms of that experience I mean Xavi you know second real managerial appointment here at, at Barcelona considering all the moving parts in Barcelona 
flip it to Real Madrid. Real Madrid's got its own politics, but at least there's a, an experience or at least a, a calmness when it comes to that sort of managerial uh, kind of perspective. Yeah, I think, in my opinion, I think that for Florentino Perez brings that and the sort of like dominance and unity that he has alongside the club, he just dominates everything. And I think that when he's not the president of the club, it's going to be a crucial moment in Real Madrid's history because a massive gap of power is going to be opened and a lot of people, in my opinion, is going to try to get it. In my opinion, right now, Xavi, I mean, I, I said it last season when they won La Liga, Xavi, for a lot of people, might not be the best manager in the world and he might be far from that. But in my opinion, he was last season one of the best managers that Barcelona could have because Barcelona was a constant earthquake. And just Xavi, for his name, for the brand that he has in the club, among the fans, and for how he knows all the way politics work in Barcelona, he was a perfect fit. Because any other manager in the world, you put him or her in the managerial seat and he's going to burn out like really quick, really quick because fans are going to give him stick or just anything. But Xavi is not that case. Xavi knows how, how to handle it. I would say that this is like the biggest strength that Xavi has in Barcelona right now that he really knows the club. And it's a time that you really know, you really need to know Barcelona to understand why uh, the club can still function. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athletic football with no spaces. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello there, James Richardson here. If, like me, you take an interest in the continental version of the beautiful game, then you should check out the Totally Football Show European Edition. Every Tuesday, I'm joined for the show by James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein, Julian Laurence and Alvaro Romeo as we cover all the big European stories. Expect all the footballing insight you need on the Totally Football Show European Edition, which you can enjoy for free wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to check out video versions of the show over on our YouTube channel. major historic brands do they both need each other to be firing on all cylinders for viewers internationally to to, to look at La Liga as, as a viable league and an enjoyable league 
Yeah, they definitely do. And I, I don't think they would have admitted that necessarily 10 years ago when, you know, Ronaldo and Messi were, were fighting out for the title of being the, being the best player in the world at, at, at Barca and, and Madrid, right? But now that they're gone, I think you notice it even more. They're almost victims of the vacuum that's been created where you've got, you know, two sets of sports newspapers in Barca, in Barcelona and Madrid, which cover them incessantly day after day. You need both of them to be firing, but you also need a strong league behind you, I think, because otherwise you risk it becoming like the Scottish Premiership or something too, you know, with such a with such a duopoly. And for a couple of years, maybe Bellingham fills that void now. Maybe players like Gavi and Pedri help fill that void. But it just wasn't living up to this this moniker of, you know, La Liga that moves the world, which is how, how they kind of dubbed it a couple of years ago because of the loss of, of Messi and Ronaldo. So it's super interesting to see where they go from here. I think also there's that issue that Barca and Madrid have, have been at loggerheads with La Liga for so long over a number of issues. So La Liga need them, but at the same time, Barca and Madrid are kind of fighting them. So it's this it's this paradox you've got there. I totally agree with Tomas, uh, with the fact that they need each other, basically. Um, that's why somehow like the relationship between clubs are not really broken. I think for what we get from Barcelona, that, that the relationships with, with Real Madrid executive board are quite good. They know that the signings of the likes of Bellingham, the emergences of Gabi's, this sort of stuff is good for them. I also think that one of the strengths of La Liga right now is watching teams like Real Sociedad. If we watch Real Sociedad at the Champions League on the last game, they absolutely battered Benfica. They only won 1-0, but well, I remember watching the game and thinking, wow, they played really good. And just the likes of, 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 of Girona, which is like second in the league right now, they are clubs... I would say like they they are different situations, but Girona is like a club that like has built uh, like a brand with the structure of playing. They have a real philosophy, a real way of playing, and and they also that as well. They they are full of like academy talents with a manager that is from the academy as well. There's an identity in there, and I think that this is the next step that that La Liga is gonna follow because La Liga is not gonna be able to compete with the Premier League to sign top players, but La Liga is gonna become like even a bigger source of talent um the academies are gonna have like more room to prove the talent that they have if you look at valencia right now valencia at the start of the season was one of the teams that was tipped to fight for relegation they are full of academy players because they have no money to sign anyone and the academy players are playing great and they are like in the top half of the league so i think that this is going to happen more and more in la liga and it's going to be a factor that we are going to see in more teams um Let's see how they keep with Barcelona and Real Madrid still being two giants that will try to lure all the big players in the wall and all the other clubs like just having enough with, with the academy. This is going to be the challenge for, for La Liga. Yeah, very quickly, I'd love to get your both your opinions on this one, actually, in that we talk about the evolution or, of, of the Premier League and we talk about the commercial value of La Liga and even leagues like Serie A. How much do you think a league like La Liga has suffered by the might of the Premier League, taking the best managers, taking some of the best players fundamentally, in terms of trying to maintain that sort of commercial relevance? It's, it's suffered a lot. And, and obviously that was part of the reason why Barca and Madrid went into this European Super League project. But that's what I mean, that they're kind of, they're victims of, of being so good and being these, these huge institutions because, you know, once you go beyond La Liga, what is there? Well, the you know, the the backlash to the European Super League was considerable. Obviously, there's court cases going on and all the rest of it. But 
they need the the strong league as well. And I, and I do agree with Paul. I, th- I think there's room for these exciting stories. Girona, Real Sociedad, prioritising young talent. Maybe Girona kind of show the way forward for for how you need to challenge uh, Barca and Madrid, really, with this intelligent structure behind you. Uh, let's see if it continues. Yeah, why is no, why is no big takeover happening in, in, in the same respects as we see for like the Newcastles, for instance, uh, Paul? Yeah, because the investor doesn't see Spanish club as appealing as the English ones are because there's the Premier League, there's the atmosphere in England. Um, that's the explanation we got when we have always asked, asked to some experts why this isn't happening in uh, in Spain. I, I agree a lot with Tomás with, with what he said about like Barcelona and Real Madrid being guilty of themselves. I also think that they are guilty of not caring about having a better league earlier because like if you look like at the Pepe Mourinho years they were like earning like in terms of like the TV shares Barcelona and Real Madrid were getting like a crazy amount of money compared to to all the other clubs and they didn't care because of course they were like the power of the brand but if you want to keep that brand alive you have to redistribute all these sort of earnings the Premier League understood it from from day one and La Liga was a bit like too late. But yeah, um, let's see let's see how it goes. I think that the Premier League has hurt them a lot. Um, and the only thing that Barcelona and Real Madrid are trying to fight against them is like, of course, like with the fact of providing all the players with a, an amazing lifestyle in Barcelona and in Madrid, but also with the fact that if you look at the Ballon d'Ors, if you look at the Golden Boys, all this sort of stuff, Barcelona players and Real Madrid players are always up there. So they offer a sort of exposure that goes next level. The atmosphere, all the entorno, all the entourage around these clubs, they are so political for the good and the bad things. And the good things are this sort of exposure and branding and naming that it's difficult to compete with. Yeah, one of the things I was interested in, um, and I guess on a commercial sense, um, was that I wasn't able to watch El Clasico here in the UK. I mean, I know we've got that 3 p.m. blackout to protect all the other leagues in, 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 in the UK, but weren't La Liga in conversations about this or is it just the UK just not that much of a priority? Yeah, La Liga's reason for, for it being at 3.15 was to kind of maximise international audiences. What they mean by that, obviously, is kind of Asian markets. It's also not too early for, for the Americas, for instance. But yeah, it did seem crazy. I mean, I had a bit of a, a nightmare on Saturday because... I decided to turn all my, my, you know, my phone off, turn all the internet off, wait for the 5.15 kind of replay on Viaplay. Then when I got to that, they were playing the Athletic Club Barcelona game from the previous week until 5.30 when they then put on the Clasico and then there's ads halfway through each half. It, I, th- I think it seems crazy that I totally understand La Liga's point of view. They put out this statement saying that they thought that the kind of English blackout rule shouldn't apply to, shouldn't apply to them, but they knew that that blackout rule existed. To me, that kind of seems like they're neglecting their UK customers, supporters, whatever you want to call them a bit. And and I think it just, it goes to show, I, I've written in the past about, about Viaplay and about La Liga's kind of confused broadcast scene in, in the UK. El Clasico doesn't feel like appointment viewing here in the same way that it was 10 years ago. Obviously that's partly Messi and Ronaldo, but it's partly them not being on Sky. It's partly them not being on like a visible visible broadcaster and and as I said earlier in the show okay Madrid have got Bellingham that's great for La Liga but Bundesliga has Harry Kane Serie A's on 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 TNT Sport Ligue 1's on TNT Sport 
all these all these broadcasters are far more visible to to UK fans, and I think La Liga needs to be wary of that. Yeah, you, you, you're thinking about that, Paul, because also I, I think I remember not too long ago La Liga also tried to play out games on TikTok to try and connect with like younger viewers and all, all that kind of stuff. So they are trying, but is the UK a, a major market for for La Liga, or is it, is it, are they thinking more global, more international? Because think of the whole of Asia versus <laughs> England. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you, yeah, you've yeah. got think, billions of people there, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that this is the approach that they are taking. I think it it wasn't also like the first Clasico that this happens that they place the Clasico in a blackout uh, time frame. Because when I was living in Manchester, I can remember that one day I couldn't watch the Clasico because I was in the same situation. I don't know if that's the case, but it also it it doesn't surprise me if it's also like a case of like making a statement in regards of like right England doesn't have a clear situation regarding our international rights no one wants to pay or no one wants to have like the full coverage that they had once uh days ago so we are going to make like a bold move and a tactical move as well just to make them uncomfortable or just make uh, any broadcaster let them know what they are missing above all i would also agree that this is just them t- uh, trying to get like a more broad sort of approach and trying to attract the Asian market, which is some market that they have already lost to the Premier League because uh, it's already like some viewers that prefer to watch the Premier League than La Liga. And yeah, just a sample of people that it means it's yeah massive for La Liga as well. Okay, we'll leave it there then. Paul, Michael, Thomas, really appreciate your time. And also remember, you can rate and review the podcast if you are enjoying it. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beale. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic.